0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly, Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Dave Jenkinson continues the series of messages on the miracles of Jesus, today looking at the raising of the daughter of Jairus. And now, here's Dave. So good to see each and every one of you here today. Lord bless you richly for being with us, either here or on Zoom. And uh, we're talking about the miracles of Jesus. And there's lots of miracles to choose from. And so we had a really nice introduction last week by virtue of hearing about the woman who had the issue of blood. And uh, I get to follow up on that with the story of Jairus' daughter. So uh, before we do so, let's ask invite the Lord uh, just to uh, inhabit this place and bring us to himself. Lord, we are grateful how great you are, O Lord. You are awesome in deeds, who was and is and is to come, the Mighty One. You inhabit us the praises of Israel. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning as we gather together. We do so rather acknowledging again our weakness but that your mercy is more again we thank you for the passage in front of us and we give you our thanks in jesus name amen there's a incredible story that i thought i would share with you one has to be careful when you do research on the internet not everything on the internet is actually true i 'm sure you're all aware of that fact, but this incredible story was verified by an article in The Washington Post in two thousand and fifteen it 's the story of a twenty three year old Shelley Colley and Jeremy, her husband, who were expecting their first child but a month before her due date, Shelley developed a blood clot in her leg. Doctors began treating it with blood thinners and on September 4th, 2014, her waters broke and she was rushed into the hospital. Doctors diagnosed at that time that Shelley had preeclampsia, characterized by extremely high blood pressure and a life-threatening condition called HELP. Uh, doctors told her that the only option was to deliver by C-section. And the baby, Ryland, a little girl, was born very healthy and But Shelley was experiencing some severe troubles. Her lungs were filling with fluid. She was having trouble breathing on her own. And doctors realized that Ryan's, Ryland's weight had been holding the blood clot in place. But when she was delivered, the clot migrated to Shelley's lung, quickly causing a pulmonary embolism. The mother fell into a coma as a result of this blood clot. So Jeremy, the husband, was informed that it was highly unlikely the doctors could do anything to save his wife's life. What devastation and what joy, all at the same moment, to have a little baby daughter lying on the husband's chest and his wife in a very severe situation. Jeremy, the husband, not only was informed that it was highly unlikely the doctors could do anything, but that her brain readings disclosed little or no brain activity. Nothing had seemed to work to awaken the mother. As a last resort, one of the nurses, a senior nurse actually, proposed placing the newborn baby on the mother's chest with skin-to-skin contact, which was thought might help awaken the mother. The baby was placed, actually, as soon as it got on the, the chest of Shelley, it started to cry loudly. And within a few moments, sensors showed that Shelly's brain had started working again. A week later, Shelly came fully out of her coma and was thrilled to be able to hold the baby in her arms for the first time. Doctors later said, this was a miracle. This little baby saved her mother's life. When we think of miracles today in the health we can never separate The excellent care of the nurses and doctors and the pharmaceuticals that are used. The helpful care of all the staff and patients. And for that, I have to say a big thank you to all those who are involved in the medical care. And uh, do so, not because of the dollars and cents, but because of their compassion for humanity as a whole. And so, a big thank you. But uh, a big thank you to God. For that nurse, thinking there might be a connection, and that God used that to bring a mother back. So what is a miracle? Is, is a miracle something that just happens and you say, well, I have no explanation? Or was this simply a feature of how we as parents are connected to our children? Doctors said at the time that it was a miracle. Well, let's go back to that passage and that illustration in a few moments. First of all, the miracle that we're talking about today is the story of Jorias' daughter. We had an introduction to it uh, last week, and for that I'm as much appreciative of the excellence in how it was portrayed. The passage that you see um, on the screen that develops the three Three passages are Matthew 9, verses 18 to 19, and 23 to 26, Mark 5, 21 to 24, and 35 to 43, and Luke 5, 40 to 42, and then 49 to 56. You'll notice each of those passages has missing verses. And that's because the sermon last week was those missing verses. So we have three accounts of the same exact, incident. The accounts are different. That should never bother a Christian. The word of God is true. That is what Jesus said. Your word is truth. It's true. You can trust it. And when you find differences in accounts, remember that actually proves the authenticity of the word of God. Because those differences... Unless they're in absolute cannot be harmonized, those differences actually prove the witnesses were not fabricating exactly the same story. That's called collusion and never holds in a court of law. So this miracle found in those three passages, I've gone to the liberty of attempting to put it together in what we call a synthesis of the three accounts. It may not be exactly as this describes, but I would like to read this synthesis because it comes from a combination of all those verses putting together the facts. So let's do that. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And behold, an official of Israel, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Gerias by name, came. He begged earnestly, saying, "My little child, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come to my house. She is my only daughter, 12 years of age, and she is dying." So Jesus arose and followed him, as did his disciples. Now, I little put a little paragraph there saying, "This is where you have the interruption of the woman with the issue of blood." While he was still speaking, then, after that interruption, some of the rulers came of the synagogue's house and said, "Your daughter has died." Why do you trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that had been spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid. Only believe she will be made well. Darius fell at his feet and worshipped him, saying, even if my daughter has just now died, you come, you lay your hand on her and she shall live. And Jesus permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James and the father and mother of Jesus. Of the girl. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the crowds and those who wept and wailed loudly. And he said to them, Leave. This little girl is not dead, but is sleeping. They scorned him with laughter. They ridiculed him. And when he put them all outside, he then took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And he took her by the hand and said, Talitha, come eat. Little girl, arise. And her spirit returned. And she rose immediately and walked, for she was 12 years of age. They were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly, no one should know it and that something should be given her to eat. So let's just briefly examine before we get into the the facts of this, or some of the facts of this account. Why sickness? Why do we experience sickness anyways? Not, not why sickness according to a health textbook, but why sickness according to the Bible? Genesis 3.16, the pronouncement comes to the, the, the woman, the, uh, the snake, but also to the man. Each one of them receives a consequence for disobedience. And he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. It would seem to be that had that sin not entered the world, uh, childbirth would have been a lot easier. For all the mothers, they can sort of identify with that. For the fathers, not so. But Romans 5.12 says, Just as one through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread, for all men have sinned. So the consequence of... Of that one disobedience was the formation of all that is involved as a consequence, including sickness, pain, and death. Sickness can also be related to demonic activities. We find in Mark's account, right at the very first chapter, at evening when the sun had set, they brought him to all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And he healed those who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So one thing that we must never exclude is the possibility that sickness may be related to demonic activity. Thirdly, sickness can be a result of Satan's afflictions. Classic example is the book of Job. Job was declared by the word of God as a righteous man, a just man, perfect in all his ways. And yet he was afflicted with the loss of such great loss, not just the economic loss of his flocks, but the family loss of his children. That would be devastating to have that happen. And yet he says in his prayer, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want that to be my prayer when bad things happen. Now, sometimes when bad things happen, we don't even have the energy to give that prayer. But I am so grateful that when I can't give that prayer, I have one standing beside me who intercedes for me, and his name is Jesus. And he does it for you as well. And he will take your groanings and translate them into prayer to God. So sickness can be those three reasons. There's two more that can be a result for sickness. It can be disciplinary. Now, we don't often think of sickness coming to a child of God for discipline reasons, but Paul reminded the Corinthian church that one of the reasons why many were sick and weak and even sleep, which would be a descriptive word for death, many of them were experiencing that because there was abuse and misunderstanding at the lord's supper so sickness can be disciplinary in fact the word of god is clear the bible in hebrews says that the lord chastens or corrects those whom he loves so if you're experiencing disciplinary sickness or correction be thankful it's another proof that you are his child However, oh, well we don't like to think about it that way but it's it's true um, if he, you are not his child, he won't discipline you and he will not correct you. Actually, that's also a proof of whether you are really a Christian or not. Because if you can go ahead and sin excessively and continually, habitually be sinning, then you ought to ask yourself, am I really his child? Finally, sickness can be for the glory of God. In Romans or John chapter 9, we have the man who was born blind. And when the, you know, even today, some are, would say to some who have eyesight problems, oh, you've, you've got those eyesight problems because there was something your parents did or something you've done in the past that would make it so. I was listening to an interview this past week, and they were describing a, a gal who would uh, had experienced that all her life, discrimination because of very poor eyesight. And uh, she said, that that's not just... In the past, that still happens today. So the man who was born blind, who has sinned? His father, his mother? And Jesus answers, neither. But that the glory of God might be revealed. That his miracle would take place on that man. And that people would realize Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, is in their midst. And so we we have the account of Jairus. And and Jarius has five really important points about him, which I would like to remind you, you can make these about yourself as well. First of all, he came to the right person. He could have gone to Jerusalem. He was in the north in Galilee. He could have taken a trip. He was wealthy, remember? (laughs) He could have done this to go to the temple right to the very presence and ask the high priest to do something for his daughter. He could have gone to the other rulers or the other Pharisees who were living in the north. He could have gone to the wise people, the doctors. After all, Luke, we know, was a doctor. So there were physicians in those days as well. But instead, he came to the one who could really do something for him. And his name was Jesus. When problems arise, who do we go to? Do we go to, first of all, ourselves? Well, normally, but we soon realize that we've run out of solutions. Do we go to the experts sometimes? And if it's beyond us, if it's a problem that needs expert help, there's nothing wrong with seeking counsel. But do we go to Jesus? He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In this very troublesome time, I hope you and I are, like this ruler, going first, to Jesus. And then, of course, he came in the right way. He came worshiping. The thought of worship is the thought of prostrating or falling down in front of or bowing low. And it's, it's, it's really consistent all through the Bible. If you look at the very first mention of bowing before God, uh, it comes in the story of Abraham's servant as he's searching for a wife for Isaac. And goes into the far off land and he prays that very simple prayer. Uh, Lord, if uh, if I ask one of these gals is coming out to the to the well for a drink of water and they give me a drink and offer my camels, 10 of them, by the way, um, then I'll know that she's the one. And what a beautiful God we have. Because the God we had had already established that uh, the gal that was going to become Isaac's wife was coming out, and she sees him and offers him water, and offers water for the camels. Some have estimated that the camels would have consumed between 30 and 40 gallons each. So that's a lot of work at the well. What that reminds us again as he says, the uh, the man says, I bow my head before the Lord and bless the Lord God of my master Abraham. Wonderful thought. The ruler came worshiping. We cannot barge into the presence of God and say, I have my rights. No, we come humbly, respectfully, and knowing that we serve a merciful and loving Heavenly Father. The ruler also came requesting he didn't just say well you know what i need you have you have everything under control i don't need to ask anything no the lord jesus was very clear when we come before the lord we're to ask seek and knock be specific in our prayer life and the wonderful thing about it is the more specific you are the wonderful specific god answers specifically And we, if we're being prompted by the Holy Spirit, have no limit to what you can ask from God. But remember, it's always in His name. The ruler kept right on believing. You remember the servants came to him after the long interruption. I mean, when you read the interruption, and you read what was going on, you can just imagine how you might have felt. You had just successfully gotten the approval of this very wonderful man that you had heard so many things about. He was proceeding with you. What a joy. And now this woman comes along and interrupts everything. And then the servants add another dimension of interruption when they say, why are you bothering this man? Your daughter has died. He kept right on believing Sometimes you and I are called to believe something that doesn't make sense. But let me remind you, God never makes sense. He's way beyond us. His wisdom is so much higher than us. And what Paul said, even his foolishness, he uses it respectfully, but he says even his foolishness is way more than the wisdom of man. The ruler kept right on believing. Do you keep right on believing when times get tough? But he also believed with resurrection faith. My daughter has just now died. Come, lay your hand on her. She shall live. What a beautiful resurrection story. So as we think about this, and this story of his wonderful touching of the little girl and her being raised back, think there's a a greater lesson for all of us here and that is this this little girl eventually died again as with all men and women we have one or two certainties I think the one certainty is death the other one taxes may not even be a certainty because you may not have to pay your taxes because you may die before you pay your taxes well somebody else will probably pay them for you but anyways um, so (laughs) the fact is Uh, The greater lesson, I think, here is this. Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. And he describes that relationship in about five or six different ways. Um, We often say, you must be born again, and that's part of what I'll be talking about here. But there's more to it than that. The first thing he said was, be my disciple, come, follow me, in Matthew 9, 9. And he said that to every one of the disciples. My question to you is, are you a disciple of Jesus? He says that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. I have many friends who would say, oh, I am a Christian, but don't ask me to be a disciple. I haven't forsaken all. I haven't turned over everything to Jesus. I still have. I'm still very much in charge here, but he he is my savior. Is he here? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Secondly, are you his child? He told us in John 1.12, As many as received them, him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. You see, we need to become his child if we are to become his disciple. He says, except you become converted, and becomes a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so that's the third, the second one the third is the new birth which Jesus spoke to the very religious nicodemus do not be surprised I say to you you need to be born again and peter picks up that very theme being born again not of a corruptible seed but of an incorruptible by the word of god now if you know you're not born again then one of the things you you can do is simply read god's word for the word of god Brings faith. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And for Christians, if you're weak in faith, you can take any passage of Scripture, and I'm serious, any passage, including the genealogies, I might add, and find that God can speak and build faith into your life. For His Word brings comfort. But one needs to be born again. One of our favorite verses... In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, already read this morning earlier. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, if you want to test for whether you are indeed a believer, ask yourself the question: Has there been a new creation in my life? It's very easy for those of us who've grown up in church to become churchians. Uh, a churchian is one who has all the right earmarks of a Christian. They give faithfully. They might even tithe. They pray faithfully. They read God's word faithfully. But they know deep in their heart there has been no new creation. That they have never experienced God's love and God's new birth in their life. In number five, your relationship to the Lord is described as a fruitful tree in Matthew seven seventeen to 20. And he describes and contrasts those who have fruit And those who do not have fruit, another test for a genuine believer. And finally, the relationship of Christ having you in his family is that you know you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's lots of confusion on that point. But they that have the Spirit of God are the children of God. And so, the Bible is clear. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know you not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. And again in 1 Corinthians 6.19 and later on in 2 Corinthians 6. So we have three separate witnesses to the believer being inhabited by God's Holy Spirit. Very important. You know, before I was a Christian, in the true sense of the word, I could not make sense of the Bible And I could not make sense of the Christian life. And I was like somebody struggling out in the middle of the ocean, flailing my arms, desperately trying to save myself. But when I suddenly realized that Jesus had come to give me rest, I simply abandoned myself to him. And he pulled me up and made me a new creation. And gave me the Holy Spirit. At the beginning of this message, we spoke of a newborn cry which helped save her mother's life. There is a baby born in Bethlehem which can save you. And his cry, it is finished, can save you if you will but trust in him. It is very simple. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. I will eat with him and he with me. What a delight for those who have opened the door. It only opens from the inside. He will not push it open. He loves you tremendously. He loves you with his intense desire, he went to the cross that we might experience his forgiveness. And he says, if you will just open the door of your heart, I will come in. That's his promise. And his word is true. And his word is faithful. And so as we've looked at the story of Jarius, the greater story is Jarias needed to know jesus as his savior and lord he came the right way i trust he made the right decision but the word of god is unclear as to where Jeriah and his wife and even the little girl ends up but the fact that they were in this story is pretty significant you and i are all writing a story and god's writing your story as well what does god say about your heart Have you opened the door? Has he come in? And are you fellowshipping with him? May God bless you this day that many will come to know the Savior. And we will see the fruits of our prayers and of the work that happened on the cross so many years ago. And it will blossom so that this place will be full of those who praise the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening.